I'm Sam Warburton and you're listening to The Hard Yards. The Hard Yards, passionate about sport. It's gone to the short side. Oh, it's not gone to the short side. It's gone to the try line. And Murray. I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this team, not you. Hi, Rob. Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. <laughs> And Ring Rose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score. Hello, I'm Andy McGeady and you're very welcome to the Hard Yards. We have a great show lined up for you today. We're going to talk about Ireland's failed Rugby World Cup bid and we're going to get the Welsh perspective with Rugby World journalist Paul Williams. We also caught up with Lions and Welsh captain Stan Warburton to discuss his test series against the All Blacks and we talked to Gary Ringrose about his breakthrough season with Ireland. Pat, I'm having difficulty getting the words out this morning. Um, I'm only half dosed up with caffeine. <laughs> Stay with me. Uh, Paul Williams, hello. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Uh, how are we, Pat? Oh, well, Jesus. Um, to look back on where we were in November 2016, we were in top form. A year on, all the confidence has been sucked out of us. We're not world beaters anymore and, and nobody even wants to come and, and play rugby in our country. Yeah, nobody wants to come to Ireland to play rugby. And um, Paul, we blame Wales and Scotland and Italy. That's the headlines over here. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. the, uh, but I, I know, and I, I can understand. I can understand how you feel. Actually, it must be awful. I think everyone, you know, the romantic, and everyone wanted the World Cup to go to Ireland. Um, and sadly, rugby, rugby is no longer that romantic sport. Doesn't seem to be, but um, it's it's funny looking at the the process the last couple of weeks because there was the huge fuss around the report when it came out and everyone was getting down into incredible detail and looking at the tables and I had spreadsheets out looking at seeing <laughs> how all these maths worked uh, and now but now we're back to the good old days of backstabbing and secret <laughs> ballots like Paul we know where we are with this stuff. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a shame because World Rugby did everything so well just right until the very last point. Um, and it, I think they'll have learned an awful lot from this. But you know, the, the overall takeout is that rugby needs money mm. um, more than ever. And you know, I think it's really just last week we were all talking about the Pacific Islands. You know, Samoan rugby's in a lot of trouble. The unions bankrupt. And we were you know, declaring what a shame that is, and why can't they get more money, and why can't they be helped? And then in the next breath, then you know we we, we want to pick a rugby world cup where money isn't, you know, the profits derived from it isn't the overall objective. And I think you know at the moment rugby needs money more than ever, um, and that's obvious in the decision. You know, I think the figures we're talking about was 270 million being delivered from France and I. Um, uh, South Africa and Ireland, and France are somewhere up near 350 million, which is a big jump, you know. So I can understand why I can understand why he's gone to France. Uh, money talks. Mm. Uh, Pat, this is a situation where I think the the IRF you are making a lot of play about England stood by Ireland mm. in their time of need and all this. Uh, but Paul's right. The, the money gap was something that was going to be difficult to, to jump over um, and we're, we're all forgetting about the stadium stuff and how we talked about previously um, yeah. and that had been a big stumbling block or in terms of the, the, the perception created through the report from uh, Rugby World Cup Yeah and the, the big shame I always thought if we were ever doing it I was even surprised when we announced a bid on the stadiums that there wasn't uh, a, mil- a Millennium Stadium or um, Principality Stadium or, or Murrayfield was included in it but then you were kind of told that the IRFU had been told that they needed to go a standalone country to like so then they were told one thing and then they put up these GAA grounds and then it was like those GAA grounds are terrible like you know and you're like well like you know the option was why didn't we just use Cardiff as as somewhere and that would have eased the infrastructure problems as well that you would have had so why weren't we just allowed to do something like that it would have been handy as like a short hop over to Cardiff as well definitely I don't know well, actually would that have taken our Welsh votes out of it or would we have definitely secured those three precious Welsh votes if we'd we have had to declare it? Cardiff an extension of Dublin <laughs> for selected days during we, the tournament you could give Cardiff the, the freedom of Dublin that Bob Geldof gave away maybe for oh yeah there's for one going period. isn't there yeah, yeah. yeah. the uh, is it is it embarrassing for Ireland um some people have been putting that across. I I don't think it is. I think you have to start somewhere with these bids. Um, Paul Wales have Wales have done their job hosting these tournaments before. Um, you do have to start somewhere with the process. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I, don't, I don't get that impression at all that it's been embarrassing for Ireland. I think to even, to even put your name in the hat for these is a big thing. You, know, you have to spend a lot of money. I think the bid process is up, where, up near, near sort of 4 million euros yeah, just, yeah. To, you know, just to get this stuff together. You, know, you need massive teams, admin teams, just infrastructure to even do these things is enormous. So I think just to get down you know, to the last three of anything is fantastic. And like you say, you have to start somewhere. Um, and I think Ireland would have learned a lot from this going forward. Whether or not Ireland will ever be capable of, of hosting an event of that size, you know, Wales couldn't do it on its own, um, you know, without the help of, of other nations. So it, it's a tricky thing, you know. Rugby's moving on at a rate enough, so there aren't many countries left, not from you know, the what you call the traditional old school countries that can really host these events. They're getting big. These are big stages. This isn't like the World Cup in 1987. You know, they're like mini Olympics. That's the thing. And uh, Pat, Pat, you you lean on that point earlier on where you're saying that the RFU had got word, look, don't be including other countries from these yeah. single countries. But have we got to the stage where in order for um, a, a Scotland or a Wales or an Ireland to consider doing this, it has to be a Celtic bid? Yeah, I think so. And it's but it's the same thing again. You have to then go to World Rugby and sound them out that it's correct. It can be done, yeah. and is this okay? And um, you get everybody to agree in it, and you know they'll have to be kind of profit sharing and stuff like that as well. So it's kind of and we'll have to account for Brexit. <laughs> but that yeah, and Brexit. Oh God, Brexit. <laughs> it'll actually it might have come in by around whatever twenty twenty seven or twenty thirty one comes around. But there was a big thing that that because um, Brian O'Driscoll was on rugby tonight there, and he was saying. Um, it was almost like that they were had been assured that the stadium thing wouldn't have been that big of an issue and then they saw that report that came out and they were almost well, it's blindsided one, by it. One point that that they seem to that, that has been made and I'm not sure there's been that much said about it but they weren't aware of the weightings. Yeah. And that would seem very interesting to me if I was a consultant or whoever in charge of a process I'd want to know how to concentrate my efforts mm. or at least how to make sure that things were being perceived. Um, but uh, Paul, I thought it was interesting looking at some of the um, the reaction. The South Africans are are unhappy. It's yes. fair to say uh, the the French are like keep this morning um, the return of French flair, the return <laughs> of French flair. They are they are happy, and it, it's only a couple of weeks ago since Laporte was absolutely blasting the process, and he gets his World Cup. Like it's it's a strange beast. This one. It is a strange beast. I think what what has been forgotten, weirdly, in in all of this, is that France will put on an amazing World Cup. Uh, you know, it's all very well to, we're saying that the bid, you know, it's all gone a little bit awry at the end. But you look at the the actual event that they will be able to put on. Their infrastructure is amazing. You know, it's fantastic. You look at their stadium. Um, it is very much a rugby country, and I think that has been overlooked. But as you say, you know, Laporte looks like a very, it was a very different situation two weeks ago. I'm not entirely sure what's happened behind the scenes, but whatever he's done has been very effective. Yeah, he's doing a good job. Trains work in France. Feels <laughs> good. Um, yeah, stadiums are good. I, I don't think, uh, by the time we get there, um, mm. 2020, all of this will be forgotten, you'd think. Um, Ireland will be concentrating on hopefully doing well, maybe even defending a title, what do you reckon? Well, it's, it's it's possible if you get over if you get out of a quarter final, anything is possible. But we say That's that true, we yeah. said at every World Cup, but yeah. uh, definitely should be looking at top in that group anyway. Yeah. Okay. Time to talk some rugby. Um, is Warren Ball now dead, Paul? With <laughs> Owen Williams being selected at twelve and not doing too badly. Yeah, I wrote last weekend it was dead, and then Jamie Roberts was called back into the squad about four <laughs> minutes after I submitted the article. Uh, yeah, I, I think it is dead. Um, oh, I think the big thing last weekend, everyone was looking towards, you know, Owen Williams to be throwing big mysteries in midfield and these really intricate sort of, you know, back-led moves from 12. And, of course, that was never really the, the question that needed answering last weekend. The question that needed answering is could... Owen Williams shut down the 12 channel defensively and do the job that a Jamie Roberts or even you know a, a, a Scott Williams or even if he slid John Davis over to 12 could he defend that channel properly and the answer is yes and he defend, he was fantastic you know he made 12 tackles didn't miss any um, and that was against Karevi and Kurajani who you know they're, they're big guys you know they're not exactly known for their subtlety of running so yeah I think I think it is dead I mean the, the, the Gatlin 
he should get some praise, right, for, for changing it, even at this late stage. But ideally, it should have happened at least two seasons ago. You know, it's been this this question's been on everyone's lips in Wales for at least two seasons. And you look at the way New Zealand they changed the way that the game was played. I'd say at least three seasons ago. Sort of Ireland moved towards it. England have as well. I mean, Australia have largely been playing that game for longer anyway. So yeah, I think it has changed and, and for the better. And they did lose last weekend, but at least they were playing contemporary modern rugby. That's it's been a long streak losing against Australia. Um, but uh, for my money, they've been they've been playing some decent stuff this year. Yes, they have, and um, you know, particularly when you look at the way Australia, with you know, they've beaten New Zealand. Admittedly, it was a home game in Australia, but to beat New Zealand anywhere at the moment is a fantastic achievement. And whilst you know, it wasn't exactly a vintage Wallaby squad because they did struggle early on in the rugby championship, but they have been playing some good rugby. And uh, you know, it was uh, like I say, Wales did lose, but they played at least it was an attempt to play rugby that that, that uh, could to deliver some results in the future. Mm. It's worth um, worth looking. I know uh, Simon Gleave, who works for Grace Note, he's got a good Twitter account when it comes to rugby, rugby stuff, and uh, he's done some good work looking at 22 entries, and he highlighted that Australia were actually sneaky good at getting into opponents 22 during the rugby tw- championship, so you know maybe that's one to watch. Um, and you guys have a preview for the Japan World Cup because you're facing Georgia this weekend, and that's your first game in, in two years' time. Yeah, absolutely, and it'll be it'll be quite an interesting game because hardly anyone, you know, we don't really know an awful lot about Georgia like being Wales. Um, so it'll be. I'm really looking forward to it actually, and it, I think we know what to expect. You know, the Georgian backbone isn't exactly littered with uh, pretty backs, but you know, and they've got a massive pack, you know, and it's all about scrummaging with Georgia. So I'm really looking forward to seeing a what squad Warren Gatland puts out because it'll obviously be a chance to pick some of the younger players. I'm hoping Owen Watkins gets to start in the centre. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how the Welsh front row goes and the locks, and whether or not he actually picks you know, a reasonably senior front five to cope with Georgia, and then a younger set of backs, or picks you know, sort of a, a younger second-string team across the entire, the entire uh, squad. Is this the sort of game where you'd want to see Wales try and play Georgia at their own game and just be better at it for the first hour and then open up? Or do you think it's the sort of game where you say, look, if Wales really open up from the start, get loose, Georgia won't be able to live with you? Well, hopefully they'll, you know, in my mind, have such a Kiwi file. Like if I couldn't have been born Welsh, I'd love to have been born in New Zealand. But just to approach it, but you know, the Kiwis, they just they just smash you up front for the first 50. And then as when all the life's been sucked out of you, then they do all the pretty stuff and stick 50 points in it. And that's the way Wales should approach it. It's pointless trying to run the ball around Georgia for the first 50. Take them on up front, and when that's gone, then try and run in the tries. Oh. Yeah, Paul. What was it? Um, I was just wondering what the the Welsh take is on the those uh, World Player of the Year nominations. Was there you guys upset over there about Jonathan Davis not not making that sh- that shortlist? No, I'm not hugely upset. I mean, I made a little comment on Twitter that he was unlucky to get on there. He's played really well for the Lions. His form in the early part of the season was was a little bit patchy. I also felt sorry for Conor Murray. I thought yeah. Conor Murray should have. Uh, should have been on that list. He's had a fantastic season over the you know over the entire period of the season. I thought he played really well. But yeah, you know John Davis did play well, but um, there was a, you know a slight suspicion that he should have gone onto that list. But you know that's how it goes. Mm. It's not the worst list they've ever come out no. with this time. There's been there's been some bad ones, but this this isn't a bad one. Uh, yeah, we'll see how that one goes. Paul, we will let you go. Thank you very much for your time today. Ma- thank you so much, gentlemen. Cheers, Paul. We'll talk again. Pat, um, interesting Paul made that point about play Kiwi rugby, smash mm-hmm. him for 50 minutes, then open up and watch the scoreboard light up because that's exactly what happened at the Aviva Stadium last weekend with the yeah. South Africa coming. It was still was 17-3 with 10 to go and it was not 17-3 at the end. Yeah, somebody showed me, uh, the, the lad I was sitting beside for the game showed me a tweet from uh, Frankie Sheehan. Uh, I'd say halfway through the game or halftime and he said Ireland should win this 40-0 or, or something like that. I think yeah. it was 40-0 it was at halftime. And we were almost saying, you know, get a grip here. Like, you know, we'll win, but we, we're not going to trash them. And in the end, we trashed them. And it was absolutely brilliant to see Ireland 
just taking apart the South African side and being ruthless and being like New Zealand would as well and uh, you know not just being happy enough to win you know by 15 or 20 points they wanted to make a statement so that, that was absolutely great to see and the big thing about it was yeah that pack the Irish pack bullying a South African pack around the pitch which is mm. it's so rare to have seen something like that so um, yeah just everything everything about that game went really well and um yeah, and, and they, they played almost the way we've often talked about how Leinster play as well and just kind of, they're the superior side but they let the other team know about it and then take advantage of it in the last 15-20 minutes so um, yeah, Schmidt must have been absolutely delighted with it. I think at the end of the game he always pulls up a kind of thing we were talking to him and he's like, ah yeah like the stuff to work on and he, the players he raved about at the end were Kieran Marmion and Joey Carberry who were on probably for a combined you know 12 minutes like so it's always the lads are always have, have are, he's hard to please but I'd say secretly when he went back and looked at it he must have been very happy with that mm, he'd have been happy enough with it like especially there was a lot of fuss around um, Bundiaki obviously coming mm. in probably probably more fuss than was necessary definitely um, yeah, from yeah. some quarters uh, Jacob Stockdale that was a super debut right? yeah um, or not a debut oh, sorry, home debut, sorry, yeah. home debut. Um, but that that man and ball emptying tackling Dylan Lades now that was something <laughs> never mind about the stuff with ball in hand that was something that really said this kid is up for it at this level yeah that was great and, and then uh, Dylan Lade came in at the end for uh, in the mix zone and the two lads kind of crossed paths and Lade still looked like he was gla- you know like did he, he tackle was, him again did he? <laughs> it was a, he actually he did step back to let Stockdale walk through so there was some some alpha male stuff going on there <laughs> already but uh, I know he's great and then that's because that's what Stockdale we, we spoke to him afterwards and Stockdale was telling us that he's been doing a lot of work with Andy Farrell and mm. Farrell saying I don't want you to tackle people I want you to dominate people and he certainly did in that encounter anyway yeah the reaction the reaction from the teammates was fantastic when mm. that happened as well I mean it, it was it was still it was late enough um, but it, everyone just turned around and said who made th- who made that hit yeah. I want to congratulate that guy <laughs> my teammate who made that hit Yeah. Uh, but it would have been difficult enough with the feckin' jerseys right now was it as bad from the press box as it was because I was I was out west I was with the family I was in the pub Yeah. I was on watching a HD feed and it was actually really hard to tell who was who and that do you know what I mean as a fan that annoyed me yeah yeah I think what is it the um, I think I got a comment from someone saying the only way you could tell them apart was by their shorts yeah. like you know so that was that was immediately apparent to me that okay, oh it's a white short ball it's a dark short ball yeah this is 2017 lads come on yeah and they would have known that they would have like it's the only team Ireland need to change <laughs> against <laughs> and they and they bring that in yeah and it's just like I I surely even extreme just put on like a white armband or something like that so you can make a difference or slash a white paint down in front of the jerseys beforehand I don't think the sponsors would be too happy with that No, no I, I, we need to get rid of that shirt let's just use it for training in the mud from here on in well, Yeah, that's it. they can actually swap it around because they have a pretty zany training top at the moment kind of turquoise and yeah. And aqua blues and stuff like that. So, so we we talked um, we talked last week, but here's the things that we would want to see to make uh, this a success. Certainly, the South African game ticks many, many, many boxes. Mm. If if there was no other games this autumn for Ireland, it'll be a success. Yeah, but Fiji coming in. Uh, what will Ireland want to see from this one? Um, yeah, th- there's going to be a, a heap of changes, but Schmidt will um, keep a few of the reliable guys. It's almost. Um, Alistair Coutinho was saying at the end of the game Ireland have this spine that of guys that they've called on for the last five or six years so Schmidt will retain many of them but then give some of the new lads a chance to kind of get out there and play and, and this is just a perfect opportunity for them to go out and prove to Schmidt that they've, they can play to his game plan as well and as we saw that game plan it worked you know they opened up in the last 20 minutes but there was an awful lot of kicking again so mm. if you're a back three show Schmidt you can go and win balls and, and dominate and disrupt for the other team um, the pack again uh, that was almost like a perfect performance in that pack last week so just if you can go out again and just do your work without doing anything you know, like you don't have to be too pretty or anything like that go out and do the job and dominate your opponent and um, yeah and just it'll be a close game but Schmidt will want to just see another couple of players stepping up and saying that's my jersey for that, that game because there's a few as good as Ireland did there's a few jerseys maybe still up for grabs for that um, Argentina game I'm, I'm thinking of someone like uh, Reese Roddick uh, if he could come in and then let's say as well as Bundyaki did uh, maybe there's a midfield spot going as well so uh, there's a spot in the back row um, I think you've got your second row sorted now 
and then there's even a, a loose head spot so there's three or four spots that are kind of if you go step up put a good performance you could play against Argentina that's a that's a good thing to have if you're a yeah. coach okay yeah. um, we'll leave that chat there uh, we'll be back with uh, a little chat you're on the road again talking to Sam Warburton mm-hmm. The Hard Yards passionate about sport you're very welcome back to the Hard Yards. The Lions tour to New Zealand ended on a strange note. It was a drawn series. Neither side particularly happy, but the Lions probably happier. Um, but we won't be forgetting that tour in a hurry. Pat, um, I said you were on the road. You weren't. I, well, I, well, uh, yeah, the, if my feet and walking count as being on a road, I was briefly on a road as I walked over to the studio to, <laughs> to, record, <laughs> to record an interview with the tour captain, Sam uh, Warburton. Uh, nice little chat, this. Um, he wouldn't have been pitching anything would he um, yeah there was a certain thing that he, he was trying to um, in return for giving me 15-20 minutes of his time there was something he wanted to also talk about and he snuck it in a couple of times I think during our, during our chat about the Lions tour ok so um, this is we are genuinely going to run a competition this week we want you to tweet uh, tweet sportsjoe.ie with the number of times that Sam mentions the word DVD in this interview um, but it is a good chat. It's a really enjoyable chat. Uh, the first thing it was uh, you eased him into a pat with a chat, <laughs> chat about the red card from World Cup, World Cup 2011. It, yeah, it was the journalism equivalent of an of an underarm pitch there to a, to a batter. It was a softy. I, I started off by talking about him. Uh, yeah, just kind of the the heartache he had. Let's say back at Eden Park, took him back to Eden Park and uh, getting sent off against France in that Rugby World Cup. So a softy. So I just want to take you back at the very start to um, we, we might circle back around to it at the end and, and go back to Eden Park but I want to talk to you about Eden Park in 2011 at that World Cup semi-final um, when you got that kind of pretty harsh red card and, and yeah oh yeah yeah and yeah I just remember being there that day and um, yeah it was a harsh red but I remember at the end of the game you spoke so well about it and you know completely owned it and uh but just kind of thinking of it afterwards, as, as a kind of young lad in your early twenties, how did you kind of deal with that big moment uh, for the weeks and months that followed? Uh, I actually remember doing an interview after, um, must have been about a month after, and obviously so all I was doing was being asked about it um, for literally for a whole month. And then my first press day back was six hours of relentless interviews about the red card, and then about a month after the World Cup, my granddad passed away. I remember driving the train and getting a text from my mum. I saw him the day before in hospital, and it kind of just made me realise that there's obviously much more important things in life than rugby. So I think that experience um, just kind of put it into perspective for me, really. And ever since then, you know, whenever something bad happens, you lose a game or whatever, there's always much worse things in life, really. So um, not that you obviously ever want something like that to happen, but that, that did help me just really give myself a bit of a, a smack on the face, really, and then and get a grip with reality, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and you came back so well, and, and Wales came back so well, and and uh, kind of led to a lot of you guys getting selected for that 2013 tour, and yourself being captain as well. But I just kind of wanted to, to know what it was like being on that tour over to Australia. You know, playing alongside like legends of the game like Brian O'Driscoll and Paul O'Connell. What did you kind of feel that was like? Was it a strange experience for you? Uh, but I think the one thing that all players will quickly realise, and hopefully it comes across on the DVDs as well, is how everybody's just a, a normal guy. And, and I think everybody gets on really well. Fundamentally, you're all pretty similar because you're, you're rugby players and you're used to rugby environments. And I think that definitely comes through you know, on the DVDs. So, um, yeah, that's actually quite easy you know, to, to mingle in with guys who've been very successful in their careers and getting teams to, to gel together. It's the same fundamentals when regional teams play each other at Christmas derbies and they come together for Six Nations and stuff. It's just the same thing with the Lions, really. So getting players to gel together and playing along alongside other great players um, is actually probably one of the easier challenges you have on Lions sports. And um, yeah, we're we're going going into this summer's tour, and again, it was a different selection of lads. I know a good few from twenty thirteen were there, but uh, a few new characters and some big characters uh, in the team as well. But was there any guys you kind of trained with or played with that you might have kind of came in with preconceptions about as almost as a, as a person that kind of surprised you on that tour to New Zealand? Uh, I thought, um, yeah, there's a few guys who come out on the DVD. It's pretty funny. Um, it was guys like Joe Marler. Uh, I was a new Sean O'Brien, but you know, Michael Winnie-Cola. Carl uh, Sinclair was great as well. And, and I'm glad that they got some some 
some time on the DVD to, to get their personalities across because they were great for the boys and for the environment. You need those characters in in teams, particularly when you're on long tours, you know, six, seven weeks away from home and guys with their families. You need guys who are great to boost them around and you can have a laugh with around the team room and the training ground. And I wasn't really sure what to think. Um, you know, what, what, I didn't really, I've never met those guys before, but yeah, those guys, you know, they were great for the lads. And um, yeah, I'm glad that DVD captured that. And there's quite a few funny moments on there which involve guys like you know, Joe, Kyle, Sean, and, um, and that's just what rugby environments are like. So yeah, those those guys are great. You know, and there's a lot you learn about these players. You know, they can completely change your mind when you meet them. But I can honestly say, out of the 41 players on tour, there's, there's nobody I dislike really. I think that's I think part of the reason we were pretty successful was because there was quite a lot of harmony amongst the group. You know, everybody got on pretty well, and all the guys who were involved in 2013 said that actually 17 was perhaps more of an enjoyable tour just because everybody got on so well. So that was a real good positive from from this year's tour. Uh, one of the things I got from watching it was um, the film and the extras was the the little bit of bite that there was to train, and you saw I think Sexton giving out to to Reese Webb and. You saw Tyg Furlong and Jack McGrath getting into it in training. Was it a bit like that? Like, was those lads so fired up they kind of just tore into each other in training? Yeah, yeah. I think five minutes later, the boys are taking the mick out of them. They're all laughing about it. So um, I think that's quite normal in rugby. You know, that's, I'm glad they've actually showed that footage because um, that happens quite regularly, particularly in international campaigns. The one thing I've, I've sort of realised with international tours and lines in particular, the day, the training session after the team announcement is probably always one of the most competitive, hostile sessions you're going to get because there's a lot of guys who are very disappointed they're not involved. So that's quite a regular occurrence, you know, for things to get a little bit heated in training. But I think the coaches actually quite like to see that. It shows the players really care about what they're doing uh, and the team and selection. Um, and when you've got 41 of those competitive guys, you know, within four countries and one side, you know, you're going to, there's going to be a bit of friction there after team announcements. So, uh, no, I'm glad the DVD captured that. It's good for people to see cause, because that is what happens, you know, in the international scene. And then we got a, a bit of an insight there um, a couple of months ago when, when Sean O'Brien was chatting about his time on the tour and, and saying how good it was and how much he enjoyed it. But, but talking about the, the idea of challenging the coaches and saying we've done too much training, we haven't done enough training. What, what did you kind of make of that from a player's perspective? Was, was Sean one of the more vocal lads on the tour about that? Yeah, Sean's, a, Sean's a very good leader. You know, I've always been, been impressed with Sean and um, you know, obviously known him quite well now from the 13 and 17 tour. And you know, I thought he was probably one of, the, one of the better guys out there. You know, he played extremely well. But it's always difficult to, to please you know, 41 guys on tour. That's bad. You've got 41 guys on tour. You've got 40 management as well. So there's an immediate team of, of 80 people. So to try and keep 80 people happy is, is extremely difficult. But you're looking back in hindsight, you know, to go to... New Zealand and played back-to-back world champions and come away undefeated is um, at the time I think we were disappointed as players that we didn't get the win. Um, but as more time goes on, I think you know you're more pleased with our achievements really. So yeah, like I said, naturally being competitive and you're always looking to make that little step you know further and then take the win. But um, yeah, I guess in hindsight I'm still pretty pleased with how the tour went. Yeah, yeah, and um, it just must be a great memory. I suppose it's one of the great things that kind of stands out is that um, everybody's standing around singing Fields of Attenroy in uh, the dressing room after the, the second test victory. Is it moments like that, that are the ones that you look back and remember most fondly? That's what I thought, yeah. That's when, when we first heard that we got a choir practice, I think a few boys would have thought that initially it was a little bit of a, it was going to be a bit of a pain or something which felt a little bit forced perhaps or might have been commercially driven. But I think it was actually a really really clever move for Warren to do that because it actually turned out to be one of the more fun elements on tour and was one of the things that really brought the boys together and you know, from a Welsh perspective when I see the amount of effort that the guys went through to learn all the Welsh words for Carol and Lam, you know you suddenly realise how much the boys actually care and you know we didn't actually need you know we were singing those songs off, off hymn sheets for the first one or two weeks and after two weeks the boys were belting them out and they knew them on the back of their hand and you know when the guys are that committed to singing songs for each other um, it was really good to build up, you know, team spirit, and we had a great laugh in doing it. And a lot of the time, it was never staged. It was just, it just happened off the cuff. Whether it was after a good win or we were having a meal out, it actually turned into probably one of the really fun parts of tour. So the choir practice turned out to be, you know, I think um, a real good team bonding exercise for us. And did any of the players surprise you with the just the the glory and the the, the power of their singing voice at all? 
<laughs> I think reluctantly Robbie Henshaw was picked from an Irish perspective to lead the choir. Uh, the same was for Greg Laidlaw and uh, Carl Sinclair as well. They were pretty reluctant to be the choir masters, but uh, Ken Owens, I think, volunteered. So he's always, um, I think, if there's ever a choir master, Ken Owens, from a rugby perspective, uh, he was always great to lead that. So I think Ken was um, was very proud of the fact he was leading the Welsh part of the choir. And um, yeah, we we got a, a nice glimpse there of um, of what it's like on, on team announcement day. Uh, you know, when Warren would name out the team, it, it is a bit of a strange one to see. It's um, you know, I would have thought there might have been a bit more kind of backslapping there, but it is kind of everybody seems to be pretty focused and uh, just a few kind of pats on the back. It's 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 nothing too extreme, is it? It's it might be strange for a fan to see that and, and see it. It's not a bit more upbeat. Yeah, no, I think um, it's very serious when they announce the test team. You know, it's you know, the biggest moment of a player's career. So it's nice that they've, they've, they've captured those bits. And you know, every guy who gets picked in that position, you know, every, everyone else, say this myself, for example, any back row who gets picked, all the other back rows will make sure they make an effort to go across and congratulate them and, and help them in the following training session. And so it's quite a... Um, it's probably one of the more serious meetings that you'll ever be in as a player. You know, so it's... Uh, Strange atmosphere because there's obviously you've got a mixture of emotions. Got players who obviously probably achieved perhaps one of the biggest moments of their career. Then other players who are absolutely devastated that they haven't been picked. So it's a complete mix of emotions. It's quite a strange atmosphere in that room, but I think that's why a lot of things come out in the training session. Then you know, when competitive guys are perhaps a little bit upset they haven't get picked, and um, not that the video boys pick that up quite nicely. So you can see those moments where guys get a bit heated in training. Um, but that's what it's all about. You know, that is the rugby environment, extremely competitive, and um, that's what you need to try and drive a team to, to, to be number one. And as someone who was it, um, you know, you were kind of saying that you were hoping just even to make that squad for the first test whenever whenever the tour started and the tour games were underway. But um, as someone who's led the lines before in test series, did you did you go up to Peter O'Mahony before the game and, and have a few words with him about that first test? No, uh, no, I would have. Um, you know, I would have looked for Pete straight away after the, the selection to congratulate him. But Pete doesn't need my advice. You know, he's he's been around. He's one of the more senior players in the squad, and you help him out in any way you can. Um, but he, he knew exactly what he was doing. He, he was picked to be captain of that team because he's very experienced, you know, great leader, had the respect of all the boys. So, um, yeah, guys don't want to be too patronised. They'll offer their help. Uh, but these guys are all very capable of, of, of doing that job themselves. So I was there fully support with Pete. Thought he did a great job in the weeks beforehand as well, and um, yeah, just you know wanted to say congratulations as soon as I could. But that's just being part of the team environment, you know, because you still got to remember, you know, even though first test when it comes around, you, the, the amount of changes that happen from first to third test is a lot. So players can't get too disheartened, and you know, that message was made clear from the start of the tour. I remember from my experience in 2013, you might not get picked for one game, but you'll be brought in very quickly perhaps given a certain player's circumstances with former injury so even though guys will be disappointed initially with first and second test selection there's always a chance to get back in that test team and yeah yeah then I suppose in return um you know after the kind of team you kind of came back you're in um for the last two tests and, and did so well and did, did Pete then did he come up to you then and have a couple of words um or you know or what was he like in training there in those last couple of weeks of the tour yeah, all, all the guys straight away, as soon as your names, I think pretty much almost everyone will come to you and congratulate you. And everyone will say, you know, anything I can do to help, just let me know. And it's nice to have that support from all the guys. So it was, uh, there was a lot of harmony amongst the boys. You know, I thought we got on really good as a group of players. And I think that, 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 that's, that's reflected in the DVD and it was reflected in, in the performances. And in hindsight now, it's probably more most enjoyable to I've been on because everybody got on great. So really good from that perspective I think that was a big factor towards us being pretty successful and, and who was good I saw good, there used to be some great images of everyone going in and swapping jerseys and having beers with the opposition who, who was one of the, the, the a couple of the Kiwis that really stood out as kind of being really sound for having a you know a post-game chat with or a couple of drinks with uh, I really got I really got on with Kieran Reid um, I thought he was a, he was a really nice guy uh, he, we swapped jerseys after the, after the second test and um, yeah, we, you know, we spoke a couple of times after the games, you know, when you're at the functions and things. And uh, he's always, I've met him a few times now, and he's always really impressed me as a, as a top bloke. So um, yeah, I really like Ian Reid's New Zealand perspective. You know, he comes across very well on the TV, but that's because he is uh, he is one of the real top genuine guys in, in world rugby. So um, yeah, he's a great role model for New Zealand as well. I really like Ian. Sam, cheers for all that. You're absolutely brilliant today, and uh, yeah, enjoy it and enjoy the rest of the season. Looking forward to seeing you uh, against when, when Wales come up against Ireland next year. 
Yeah, no, I'm sure that's going to be a pretty big game against Ireland. So, yeah, look forward to that one. Cheers. All the best. Lovely. Speak again. Cheers. Yeah, that was good, Pat. I enjoyed that chat. Yeah, he was good. He was in good form. Um, yeah, and, and he's he's always a great lad to chat to. Like, um, even had a lot of pressure on his shoulders from early doors, being captain of Wales and now captain of Lions twice. Like, so he's a pro, and also the personality comes out a little bit as well, which is nice. What was the what was the bit you most enjoyed in terms of his the insight that he gave? There was a, a couple of interesting ones. I, I did think that yeah, we were. I was almost trying to set him up to say nice things about Peter O'Mahony, and and he was he didn't just, bite, did he? No. He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like there was that kind of. There was respect there, but there was a bit of an edge as well. Like so, like, like they, maybe they're not, they're not friends, but they respect each other, and they probably they actually probably have boxed each other a few times in the pitch or given each other d- digs on the pitch before. And O'Mahony probably instigating a few of them. So. You're, you're reading a lot into this, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you could just tell like he's it, it was the opportunity was there, and he was like, "Listen, we, we shook hands, we're, we're all mates, but that's it." But uh, and then the other one I thought was interesting was just talking about O'Brien. Like he does mm. seem to be a real character like uh, whereas some of the other guys that um, you know Warburton talked about like Marler and Sinclair they weren't starters but here's O'Brien a test starter world class player and he's also this guy who's you know joking around so he's also this guy as well who's kind of raising issues as well and and raising problems so um, he seemed like a real big presence in that team as well so uh, but yeah it was interesting to kind of see how it went but what what Warburton's taken is and other lads have talked to is like that really was one of the most enjoyable things so maybe when O'Brien was kind of giving out about stuff, it wasn't this big drama. Like, you know, there wasn't this big kind of everybody was tense in a room or anything like that. It was just like he raises issues and brought them up, but it still didn't linger on. So maybe that's why Gatland was so surprised a couple of months later to hear that this was still a big issue. So, mm. um, but that's it. Yeah, really good guy to talk to. And um, yeah, can see him can see him going on the next one as well. Yeah, so if you were listening, um, if you did pick up the number of times Sam mentions the DVD, uh, genuinely tweet us using hashtag the hard yards. Uh, we'll draw a winner and the winner will get sent a copy of the Lions Tour DVD. So, uh, that was good stuff there from Sam and Pat. Up next, we speak to Leinster and Ireland centre Gary Ringrose. She wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You can watch the start, fall off for 40 minutes, come back, see the end, perfect. You know what I mean? You've missed nothing really. Remember, Rod, Kev in the Kalina used to have to bring two TVs into the room, one for you for Cheltenham. <laughs> Like every red-blooded male in the country, he'd be watching the horse racing, whereas I'd have a TV for myself for things like Murder, She Wrote and Houses Under the Hammer. Murder, She Wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You're listening to The Hard Yards. Recently, we caught up with Ireland and Leinster Centre Gary Ringrose to talk about his breakthrough season last year at test level, which had him touted as a potential lion. Um... Pat, we always need you to have at least one mileage claim per week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, did you enjoy this chat with Gary? Yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, again, like Gary was there. He was the Maxall Irish University's Rugby Union Ambassador and we were speaking to him about ding, a, ding, 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 <laughs> a, whole, a whole range of issues. But uh, yeah, we, we mentioned the lines as well, which kind of ties in nicely with Sam and the fact that here is a guy who was only 21 and he's getting actually mentioned by Gatland when he announced the squad as well. So I really thought he'd get out there. I did as well, especially when there was a few injuries as well, and and um, he, like he would have stepped up. He's one of those guys we talked about at Stockdale as well, a guy who can actually just keep stepping up to the levels and not look out of place. And I think Ringrose would have would have done a nice job over New Zealand. So uh, a great guy to chat to, and um, yeah, just absolutely love rugs. Like he loves rugby, and I think that comes through in the interview as well. Yeah, good guy to talk to. So the first thing you asked him about was what it was like as a young fella starting off in Leinster. When you first came into the Leinster Academy, uh, Joe had this system where everybody would shake hands and have a morning greeting with each other. How how strange did you kind of find that uh, for a young lad just coming into the system? Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool to find myself um, shaking the hands of guys I would have watched in the RDS and the Aviva, um, guys I'd look up to and try and copy. Um, I think I got a bit of slagging. There was a it seemed probably a year or two previous, I'd bumped in a couple of, I think it was Johnny Sexton and... Rob Carney and I'd actually asked for a picture with him so my dad dug it out and I think showed it one of the days so I got a bit of slagging for that but uh, yeah no it's pretty cool to even today to get a chance to work with guys like that um, I know when I first came in on the wing for Lencer to work with the likes of Easton Asaewa and Fergus McFadden is just incredible and 
I mean, I'll never forget some of the stuff I've learnt off them at the start and continually learning off them at the moment. Definitely surreal going into a club like Leinster and the history they have, um, along with the calibre of the players that were there. So as you guys, I was used to watching on TV, whether it was for Ireland or in the Aviva or um, in the RDS with Leinster. So to go in and actually be training with them and shaking their hands in the morning, as you said, is pretty surreal. I think it hasn't really rubbed off just yet. You know what I mean? Still trying to learn as much and Mm. copy the, the senior lads as much as possible really. You had a chance to meet and train with some Irish rugby legends there during Ireland's summer tour, uh, the likes of Felix Jones and Ronan O'Gara, what was it like working under them? Yeah it was, Gervin Dempsey was there as well so I'd get to mm. work with him in Leinster um, thankfully enough so was, he was over there and yeah working with Felix and Ronan was, was pretty cool to pick their brains a bit and they they all actually trained at some stage when oh, in wow. the States and uh, Japan and yeah, they're probably good enough to keep going. They could still be playing it, you know, that's right. Um, and they certainly weren't, uh, didn't keep their head down. They were the driving forces in training and certainly managed to learn a few things off them as well. It was interesting talking to both Ronan and Felix about their experiences and with Ireland and I mean, trying to kind of soak up anything I could, really. Yeah, Ronan was saying to us that you hit him with a, a really nice tackle in one of the training sessions uh, and he still, he still hasn't forgotten about it. What was that all about? Yeah, well, I think when you go into training mode, you kind of, the blinkers are on and there'll be a bit of bite. Uh, so I don't think I purposely would have done it now. Um, to be fair to him, he was, he was pretty good himself and, and made it tough for the lads going against him. Uh, so he's probably too modest to say that. But uh, it was cool to find myself training against someone like him. Yeah, so during the summer as well, Warren Gatlin would have mentioned that you were very unlucky not to get on that Lions tour, but did you watch it from afar? Did you keep an eye on how it all went for the lads down in New Zealand? Definitely, well, the, and the inner fan comes out in me. Um, I watched all the games when possible. Time-wise, it worked out in Japan. We were able to watch them during the day and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was an incredible tour. I think the lads did really well and we'll be disappointed they didn't, didn't come away with the win. They could have snatched it. Um, from my own point of view, I wasn't too disappointed, really. Uh, like it was pretty exciting to find myself uh, even in the shake-up or being considered and name-dropped and stuff, which was, which was pretty cool at the time. I think it was a couple of years previous, I was playing in the Conroy Cup under-20s here. Um, so to, if someone had told me I would have been even considering or holding my breath when the announcement was coming, uh, I wouldn't have believed them. So I kind of took a pinch of salt yeah, with the, the whole... Uh, yeah, it's been such a whirlwind journey for yourself, hasn't it, in, in such a short amount of time? Is there somebody, somebody at home or somebody in your life, whether it's family or friends or teammate, that keeps your feet on the ground, keeps you grounded? Yeah, well, I still live at home with my family, so that would be my parents and a younger brother, a younger sister. Um, my older brother is in Australia at the moment, so um, any sort of privilege that would be associated with being a rugby player is is left out the door when I go in that house um, so I think that's that's pretty good for me I enjoy the fact that I'm still there with my family Yeah and, and rugby is almost 24-7 for yourself at the moment but do you have anything that helps you switch off or take your mind off the game every now and then? Um, well I'm studying in college at the moment still in UCD so it's a, it's a four year degree that's taken me a little bit longer but UCD are brilliant at facilitating that and supporting me in, in and around the Leinster and Irish games so uh, I'm uh, still studying away, so I've been chipping away at that in my spare time as well as kind of catching up with mates, whether it's playing a bit of golf or something relaxed like that, nothing too hectic. And do you find as well then that you're, you're so, you know, associated with the game, uh, you know, when you come up to talk to people maybe for the first time or you see, haven't seen somebody in a while, that rugby's always the first question that you always get asked about? Jeez, I wouldn't think about it too much. It's a passion of mine, so I could talk about it all day. You know, sort of way I'm guilty of being a bit of a rugby nerd anyway, so I find myself talking about rugby the whole time. Um, I know I think when I'm with my family and, and friends, close friends as well, that uh, it isn't always the thing that's discussed around the dinner table. There's other things that take priority as well. So it'll be a good balance of rugby and then not talking about it too much. So yeah, oh, like rugby has given you that chance to kind of meet so many interesting people over the last few years. But is there anybody that this sport has kind of brought you in contact with that, that's really stood out as a kind of character, whether it's in sport or outside, outside the sport of rugby? Uh, well, actually, recently enough, I would have been before the All-Ireland semi-final this year. I met Keen O'Sullivan for the first time and it was interesting listening to him speak. Uh, he's five All-Irelands, which is pretty exceptional. Um, and it was just interesting listening to his story and his attitudes towards training and stuff. So it was pretty cool trying to pick up on a couple of things because he's so successful. So I wouldn't mind uh, picking up even one or two traits that he shows, you know, that sort of way. Um, so he's someone recently enough that I had a chance to meet. And would you have an interest in the guy? Like, is that something you'd kind of keep an eye on a lot? Yeah, a bit. Well, recently, considering they 
what they did this year mm. achieve was pretty hard to miss. So um, I never got a chance to actually play it. I would have loved to, but uh, would have you know, shown a bit of interest in it growing up. Yeah, so, so we're only a year on now from that, that amazing win over the All Blacks in Chicago. Uh, can, can you t- go back maybe and just talk us through that whole few weeks, you know, going over to Chicago Soldier Field, playing inside centre the next week, the game against Australia as well, when basically everybody was, it was the walking wounded. Like, it was absolutely crazy a few weeks. Just from your own take on it, what, what did that feel like for yourself? Yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head. It was a crazy couple of weeks. It was, it was the first Irish squad I was uh, officially announced in, so even that was pretty surreal. And then to find myself going to Chicago for the, the All Blacks test and be a part of that history was, was pretty cool as well. I know... Um, was it the week of the game? There was a couple of guys who picked up niggles. I think Keith Earls had a niggle um, from the week before, so that managed to give me the opportunity to, to get on the bench there. And I actually didn't get on the pitch, but it didn't really tarnish the experience too much. It was pretty cool. It was myself and Joey Carberry that were there, and seeing him get on after 50 odd minutes and close out the game he did in the fashion he did, you know, I mean, I derived probably just as much satisfaction of it as, as he did. So. Um, and then even kicking on then to Canada, making my debut was pretty special at home with friends and family in the in the stand. Um, and then, as you said, getting the chance to play the All Blacks, I found myself on the bench again and on after 10 minutes. And obviously the result didn't go the way we wanted. So it was a little bit disappointing in that regard because we felt we could have done it again. But uh, yeah, then to finish off the series with a win against Australia, I think it was Roy Best's uh, 100th cap, yeah. if I remember correctly. So it was pretty special for him to be a part of that was uh, was pretty cool so as you said it was a whirlwind couple of weeks but I was considering myself lucky with the opportunities I did get because there was a couple of injuries that that helped me out I think as you said they're playing 12 when I think back at it now I think the last time I would have played 12 was at under 20s level uh, for UCD and the Conroy so it's interesting that I'm back here today and you asked that question and finally yeah, the, the, maybe the, the best bit of advice you've got so far whether that's in rugby or whether that's in life just something that somebody has said to you that stood out it's a tricky one I know my granddad uh, tells me to just enjoy the moment um, which I try to listen to can't forget how lucky I am the position I'm in um, and to just make sure I enjoy every second of it and whether I'm selected or not and I mean, just being able to work with the people around me. Um, it's a pretty cool environment that I know people who give an arm and a leg to be involved in, so it's to never forget that and just enjoy every second of it. Great stuff there from Gary Ringrose. Up next, we take a look at some of the weekend's games. The Hard Yards, passionate about sport. You're listening to the Hard Yards Ruby podcast on Sports Joe. Thanks for listening. We're going to preview some of the weekend's international games. Uh, Ireland, Fiji... We've talked about it earlier in the show. Ireland, 27-point favourites, Pat. Um, I'm going to go with the Fiji inside of this. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a hefty, <laughs> hefty spread, isn't it? Um, and the Fijians, I know they got beaten by Italy last week, but that's a hefty spread. Um, I'll, I'll, just for uh, maybe my own thrill when I'm at the game at the weekend, I'll go for Ireland. So there's an extra frisson of excitement for me when... Ireland are 22 points up and I'm pushing them on to get that last try so I'll back Ireland on that so no cheering no cheering in the press box unless Pat's got to cover the spread <laughs> yeah. uh, okay the um, and we'll continue an Irish theme here so Italy are uh, are five point underdogs against Argentina uh-huh. um, I will take the Argentinian side of that mm. and then we'll talk about Ian McKinley so I'm taking Argentina yeah, I'll I'll go Argentina as well for that one, okay. uh, and then yeah, but yeah. that's that was the main last week turning mm. on and seeing Ian McKinley who uh, lost his and I will declare an interest here. Um, my he's my wife's second cousin. Oh, uh, we've never actually met, <laughs> but there is a connection. So I am being full disclosure. I am biased, but it was amazing to see him come on that pitch. Mm. Uh, there is a guy who is an example to I'd say any young boy or girl said if you have a setback look at that guy and see what he's done it's just amazing to see yeah um and getting the chance to kick points over the bar as well i was i was made, like i remember just being at the ords when he was finally allowed to play in ireland again and, and he played against yeah. leinster and he spoke so well afterwards and it meant so much to him and all his family were, were in the crowd as well so to then go up another level again and and, and represents you know a country at an international level and a country where he basically you know, he went down to the lower divisions just to kind of trial out to be able to use the goggles. I think he was a Viadana and stuff like that. So for him to be able to go start off solo and then build himself up and prove the the class that he always had is um, 
there seems to be a film in it there's a documentary in it if someone's not on it already um, I want the Ian McKinley 30 for 30 damn I was just you've bagsied it there ahead of me I robbed your line <laughs> yeah. yeah it would be a good show um, yeah. but it, it's great to see uh, it's good that in the bigger picture this is now um, the goggles have set foot on the test stage which is really important mm. um, that worldwide trial is, is now you know all the major unions are involved which is also really important yeah. if, you're, if you're a person with kids coming up and they can see that person say yes it is okay for us to be on that pitch as well just like him so fantastic well done him and um, well see you in the Six Nations don't play don't (laughs) play too well Uh, England Australia England are eight point favourites eight point favourites yeah I'll go I'll go with England here uh, for that one but eight points is kind of generous enough Um, funny to see Eddie Jones going ballistic there last week he wasn't happy he did go a bit mental (laughs) yeah Yeah. so um, yeah he wasn't happy with that performance so um, yeah, and then but Australia they look great. Um, they look great against Wales, but I'll go for I'll go for England for that. Yeah, I'll, squeak it. I'll go on the Australian side of this, but I would not be surprised to see um, England put put points on this. I don't think you get a like it was a fairly average performance against Argentina. I don't think that's going to happen again. But I think I think eight points is about right mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of the, the over under. Uh, Scotland, New Zealand, New Zealand twenty point favourites in Murrayfield. Um, I will I will go on the Kiwi side. Yeah, I think it just makes sense. I think I'll do the same. Um, Jesus, that was boring. Yeah, <laughs> are we going? To, are we going the same and everything there? We're, we've got a few, but listen, that, that's that is what it is. But yeah. I will say they didn't have problems with jersey clash in France. Uh, yeah, the Kiwi, the the New Zealanders wore their change kit, which is white. Doesn't mm. look so much like the dark, um, the dark blue. Uh, but also mentioned to all rugby players: know your laws. Don't do a sunny bill, and forget oh. that you're not allowed to smack the ball out of the. Uh, out of the dead ball <laughs> and then you can see the penalty try on a yellow card good yeah. going good yeah. going not happy with that because it put him yeah it made it a much closer game as well didn't it it did it was, it's actually if if you haven't watched that it's get get a good chunk of highlights on YouTube and watch it back some good stuff on that mm. um, France South Africa this is tasty now there's some off field stuff yeah. there's going to be fights in the, in the blazer box <laughs> um, France are four point favourites against the Africans uh, yeah I'll go I'll go with France on that one and if they had it went 14 point favourites I might have went with France for it as well I get the same feeling I think 4 points is odd. like South Africa were bad yeah they, they looked it, it's like Kutsia is a guy um, he's not going to be I don't think he's going to be their head coach soon enough they, they, they can't even figure it out themselves like uh, I think Erasmus is going to take over and Kutsia might be he'll be downgraded to some other position and it's up to him whether he wants to stick around or not because it looks like those guys know that he's not going to be the man in charge anymore and they're not playing for him because some of the stuff they were up against Ireland last week was dreadful like so they'll invent a new like you'll be director of director of rugby <laughs> <laughs> yeah. senior vice president like, yeah, like or junior <laughs> vice president so it's um, it's it's he's filling time and the players seem to know this as well And uh, but uh, this could be a different weekend uh, if 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 there's going to be a game to get them going, it's going to be playing against France and trying to stick it up them here. So mm. uh, hopefully it is close uh, because they're capable of it. But um, luckily for us, they didn't show that last weekend. So yeah, France for me. Okay, and do you know what? Just for the crack, I'm going to change and go South Africa to perform some kind of miracle. Yes, yes. Uh, and last but not least, Wales against Georgia. Wales 18 points favourites against the Georgians. Uh, we talked to Paul Williams about this earlier on. He would like to see them stick, you know, stick 50 on them in the end. Mm. Where do you reckon the truth is? Um, I think they could um, but just to spice things I know I'm not going to be crazy I'm going to go Wales in that one sorry I'm too far behind to do any kind of Hail Mary things like that I'm going to go Wales so you're going Wales um, I will go Georgia yes. just to make Wales sweat a little bit before because they could look if they get a really tight squeaky result here then mm. suddenly Rugby World Cup 2019 looks a little more tasty in that pool yeah. this is pure this is what I want to happen <laughs> yeah but anyway uh, right that's it for this week um, thanks to Paul Williams to Sam Warburton to Gary Ringrose and Pat McCarry Alan McNan for producing and Paul Donegan was on sound we'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast subscribe to it on iTunes Podcast Republic SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get it straight to your phone this has been The Hard Yards I'm Andy McGeady thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week The Hard Yards passionate about sport